This could be your last podcast, is what you're saying. <laughs> could be. It might be. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, George Bissell, filling in once again for Matt Straub this week. And we're recording this show on Monday, June 24th, late night. And we've got a very special guest for you. He's a writer at Baseball Prospectus, one of my favorite fantasy baseball analysts. He's one of the best fantasy baseball players uh, in the world, NFBC main event champion, Rob Silver. Rob, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, great to be here. Uh, I, I agreed to do it since you were going to say those nice things about me. So, so I've already, I've already earned, uh, it's already, already been worth it. All right. So let's dive right into the podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a different show, uh, rather than what we usually do on this podcast. We are going to cover some current events right at the top of the show. It's a lot of, uh, breaking news that we have to get to, but we're going to focus on some more player centric topics, some strategic aspects of fantasy baseball. This is going to be a little bit different than what you used to hearing on this podcast. And, and these are the things that Rob and I, I think obsess about, like the strategy and the process and everything like that. So I'm excited to do this. Rob, are you fired up and ready to go? I couldn't be more excited. So let's talk about uh, a topic that I'm sure is near and dear to your heart. I think you're uniquely qualified to speak on this subject since you are a Canadian. Uh, the Rays, it came out last week, there was a chance they're talking about splitting their season and playing some home games in Montreal. And I... Look, I can I can say I don't think it's a good idea, but I think the the world needs to hear your take on this potential raise to Montreal move that could happen in the future. So I, I'm not just Canadian. I grew up in Montreal. I grew up an Expos fan. My last year living in Montreal was 1994. I left in 1995 to, to go to university. Uh, so the Expos broke my heart, but I grew up loving them. And if you'd asked me like three, four years ago um, – what are the odds in my lifetime that there is a professional baseball team in Montreal? I would have said 5%. And it largely would have revolved around me becoming a billionaire, buying a team and moving them to the Montreal, uh, back to Montreal. Because short of that, it just seems so implausible that Montreal would get baseball back again. And for a variety of reasons, the world's changed a lot in the last uh, few years. So, In terms of the specific story that came out uh, with Major League Baseball giving the Rays permission to explore this, this seems like both a goofy idea to me that doesn't make a lot of logical sense and a clear leverage play for the Tampa ownership to uh, give them leverage in terms of negotiating a new stadium. The reason why it doesn't make sense is if you read the actual press release that Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred put out, It's predicated on both Montreal and Tampa building new stadiums to split the team. From just a Tampa perspective, if they can't finance a stadium for 81 games, even if you take out the roof so it saves a couple hundred million bucks, the notion that they'll be able to finance a a stadium for 40 games doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like maybe there's some alternative universe where that math works, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But as an Expos fan, 
people were like, well, this is so unfair to Montreal fans being used this way. It's like, use me. Use the heck out of me. Use me as much as you want for other teams if it, if it keeps Montreal in the conversation to returning to Major League Baseball. So I'm convinced that the only way Montreal is going to get a team back is an expansion. Uh, process. Why? Because if I'm one of the uh, current 30 owners, uh, I want the billion dollar check. I mm. want the big payout. If if a, a team relocates, all that happens is the current owner benefits. The other owners, I mean, to the extent that, that, that you know, having 30 healthy major league franchises helps everybody, I guess it helps them. But um, whereas an expansion process is a check. So I think that relocation is still unlikely as as, um, you know, as bad as the situation is in Tampa, in Miami, to a large extent in Oakland. I think that's unlikely to happen, whereas expansion now seems more and more likely once those teams seem more solid. So if you ask me now, what are the the odds in my lifetime? And hopefully I have more than five years of lifetime left (laughs) um, that there's baseball in Montreal. So let's say forget my lifetime uh, in the next decade that there is a professional baseball team uh, that called the Expos uh, that exist i'd say it's now 60 40 65 35 that it happens i think it's uh i think the biggest challenge right now is not major league baseball it's um it's 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 how expensive like how valuable professional sports teams are so uh uh there there is an ownership group in montreal but it's it's big leagues man like it's a lot of money and uh i'm a skeptical on their on their financial uh i'm hopeful but skeptical on the financials of it yeah i agree with everything you said i think the big issue for me is one this proposal is never going to happen but if it actually did i think it's a logistical nightmare for players and coaches and the organization where you have you're asking players to split you know locations between two very different places and i I just think there's no way that could possibly work so well it's i mean it's it's in all four major league sports it has never happened for more than a season or two right the expos as they were on their deathbed played chunks of games in puerto rico but this was a sick sick franchise that was dying we've had other situations where stadiums are being like built or renovated where for like a little time you did it but you never said like for the next 20 years this is how it's going to be and you're going to split a team with two cities that have nothing in common like this is not green bay and milwaukee saying we're going to split the packers and you're going to play a couple of games down the road like that may be weird but you can wrap your head around it like what the hell did tampa and montreal have to do with one another like it's mad libs like it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah it's it's a it's a pure leverage play there by by major league baseball and the that ownership group on the city of tampa and st petersburg so we'll see we'll see how it plays out Let's get to the. I hope that I hope that helped everybody's fantasy team. That long, uh, that long uh, soliloquy about the future of the Montreal Expos. Well, if there's anything I, I I can assure everybody, it's that you guys deserve it up there in Montreal. It's been a long time, so you you can talk as much as you want about the Expos. I'm fine with that. Uh, awesome. The big story in fantasy baseball, I think, that just came out earlier this afternoon was the Jordan Hicks injury in St. Louis. He's been diagnosed with a torn UCL in his right elbow. The Cardinals initially said that he was dealing with triceps tendonitis but they got the bad news uh, when he underwent an MRI today on Monday. 
it's still up in the air whether or not he's going to undergo Tommy John surgery. If he does, that would knock him out for at least uh, the next year or so. And, you know, he could re- return late next season if he does. Uh, but you know, just looking at sort of the in-house options here for the Cardinals, I'm assuming Rob, it looks like Carlos Martinez is going to be the favorite to close the rest of the way. John Gant obviously is still in the picture, but we've had a lot of reports coming out and a lot of speculation that it's actually going to be Martinez who's going to step in as the Cardinals closer the rest of the year. What do you make of that situation and what should the Cardinals do going forward? Uh, I, I agree. It's going to be Martinez. I think Gant, Gant's, Gant's been shockingly good in, in the role that he's been in, but I assume Martinez uh, gets the next shot. Uh, St. Louis is such a weird team. They've, they've been such a weirdly constructed team in a weird season uh, for them. Uh, a lot of there'll, there'll be a lot of hindsight. Well, of course, Hicks has a torn UCL. Look how hard he throws. Look at his off-speed stuff. Like I love Jordan Hicks coming into this year. I, I, like he just he, there was too much helium in draft season that I didn't end up with him anywhere. But Martinez shown uh, that a healthy Carlos Martinez can be uh, a good closer uh, the rest of the way. So of all of their challenges as a team right now. Um, like there, there will be a lot of closers on the trade market over the next five weeks. I'm not sure trading for uh, a hand or a Giles or, or any of the closers that are available really makes a lot of sense for them because I think both Gant and Martinez can get it done. Yeah, also the the prices we've seen for closers, they've gone up exponentially in the last couple of years because of the impact they have in a playoff game or a playoff series. So... I, I doubt the Cardinals would be willing to, to meet that type of asking price as well. So uh, Carlos Martinez is probably the, the ad here. I'm sure he's still out there in a ton of leagues because he hasn't pitched a ton this year. So go out and pick up Carlos Martinez if he's still available. Frankie Montas was suspended 80 games, and uh, he's tested positive for a performance-enhancing substance called Osterine. I don't even want to know what that's uh what that is uh, it's, a, was... it's a it's a it's a horse tranquilizer oh. no i'm just i just made that up uh <laughs> all this, i assume every pd is kind of used with barnyard animals and some trainer in uh in moscow decided that it could help a- professional athletes but i'm not a doctor so so talk to your own doctor before you start injecting any of that into your uh yourself you're just canadian you're not a doctor I exactly guess. So we have, social, we have socialized medicine. That doesn't mean literally anybody is qualified to uh, provide medical advice. <laughs> Good to know when I'm when I'm north of the border. <laughs> exactly when you're at the next Expos game and you're, yeah. uh, you something bad happens. Yeah. So Montes was in the midst of a, a really impressive breakout season. He, he had an ERA under three, ninety-seven to twenty-one strikeout to walk ratio over ninety innings. And I think the interesting takeaway for for fantasy purposes is what this does to his value in redraft leagues next year because i think it's really going to suppress his cost because this isn't enough i think of a sample for people to say you know this was convincing we're talking like mainstream casual leagues i think a lot of those fantasy owners are going to say well obviously he had some help in putting up those numbers and it's going to depress his cost so how much does this hurt his fantasy stock next year and how much do you have to weigh the suspension and what he's done so far when you evaluate him next year. Uh, it's going to hurt his redraft, I think, next year a lot, which 
builds in a massive buying opportunity. So what happened with Montes, and, and none of us are smart enough to know what the PDs did and didn't do, but he started throwing a split finger uh, pitch, which he had never thrown uh, in the majors before. He threw it 18% of the time this year, and it had a 21% swinging strike rate, and it was awesome. If you watch any of Montes's start, that split finger took him from a middling pitcher, an interesting uh, pitcher, to an awesome uh, pitcher. It had a, a 146 FIP, a, a 102 XFIP, and again, as a non-Canadian doctor, I don't think that PDs made that split finger. I think split fingers, if you, can, you can, if you can throw a good split finger, it's a great pitch to have in your arsenal, and it made everything else, made the 96-mile-an-hour fastball uh, work for him in a way that it hadn't previously. So so I think he's going to be a great buying opportunity uh, coming off the suspension going into next season. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to put a cloud over him, and I think a lot of owners are going to be scared off, and that's usually when you can buy. Same thing with when guys uh, have an injury that lingers into the offseason. Uh, a lot of times you see their value depressed and redraft, and it ends up being a buying opportunity like you're saying. So I'm in on Montes, and I, 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 I'm with you 100% there. Uh, so the next thing I want to talk about is uh, a pair of rookie starters for the Marlins and the Cubs who've been impressive so far. Zach Gallen, Adbert Alzale. Uh, Gallen allowed just one run over five innings with six strikeouts in his Major League debut against the Cardinals last Thursday. He's on track to start against the Nationals on Wednesday. And then Alzale, he made um, his Major League debut in a bulk relief appearance against the Mets. Uh, one hit over... Uh, four innings in relief of Tyler, Tyler Chatwood with five strikeouts. He's going to start on Thursday, uh, start on Tuesday, actually, against the Braves. So I don't know, Rob, how much you've caught of either of these guys, but they posted some really impressive numbers at the AAA level. They sort of project as, as mid-rotation starters. I think Alzale, there's a bit more upside there, but what are your impressions so far of, of Gallon and Alzale? So Gallon, uh, I did catch most of his first start um and I, I certainly was familiar with him coming uh coming in i think he has the potential to be a top uh 40 45 starter the rest of the season which which sounds not that impressive but as most of us realize it's really like that's a game changer if you suddenly add a uh four, top 40 starter so i think gallon is uh, really interesting. It's not a great start this week for him, and the challenge uh, for him is he has Washington this week, and then he f- he projects to be uh, a two-start week next week of Washington at Washington and at Atlanta. And the danger is, of course, with Pablo Lopez uh, on the, the IL, but not for that serious an injury that uh and and miami it's a weird thing to say and like i I, every time i say this i expect a lightning bolt to come out from the the sky and hit me suddenly miami has a bunch of really interesting young arms uh they have a lot of options uh now so uh there's a potential that like so everybody is assuming gallon is up for good and he is here to stay for the rest of the season i'm not 100 percent sure that he is i think when pablo lopez uh comes back they're gonna look at yamamoto they're gonna uh look at uh gallon uh they're gonna look at everybody and see where things fall and pablo lopez isn't losing his rotation start because he's also been pretty awesome 
Yeah, so there's like a weird parallel universe where the Marlins also have Chris Paddock and Luis Castillo as well, and this is uh, probably the most exciting rotation in baseball. Uh, but, in, that uni- in that universe, do they also have Christian Yellis and Giancarlo Stanton and Jason T. Realmuto and Marcelo Zuna and suddenly are the first truly dominant Marlins team, even including the ones that won World Series? I, p- potentially, but we're in the, the universe where Derek Jeter owns the team, so uh, <laughs> yeah. that's not uh, that's unfortunately not where we are but you're right i really like pablo lopez i was really concerned when he went down because of the same injury that ended his season last year so initially when he suffered it and they were talking about bringing gallon up you you kind of fear the worst but it sounds like he's on track to come back here within the next couple of weeks and yeah they're gonna have a decision to make because yamamoto has been fantastic as well so i i don't know how this shakes out but gallon is worth i think at least a speculative ad he's someone i'd try and you know, maybe now is is the high point of his value if you can try and sell him. But I think you made a good point that he could be a top forty or fifty starter the rest of the way, totally. and that's that's a guy you want to hang on to. Um, yeah, forward in most I, cases. I th- I think that what was interesting, certainly in the NFBC where I mostly play, so I don't know if it was the same in 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 home leagues this past weekend. He was the hot free agent pickup this week. And because, and we'll I think talk about this later, because of because of the way free agency has gone with all the rookies this year, there weren't that many teams that had money. But the ones who had money, especially if they were struggling, were going hard after him. Hmm. And I get it. I'm not sure it's going to pay off for them quite the way they think it is with Gallon. So the other guy, Edbert Alzale, I think he's actually really interesting because the Cubs need him. I think he's better than a lot of the options they have in that rotation. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is going to start making rehab appearances, but Alzale, I think even if they decide to take him out of the rotation, he could still be a weapon as sort of a long guy out of the bullpen. So I like him as well. I don't know. Have you caught any of uh, Alzale so far? I know a lot of the guys on our staff at Roto World are high on him. Uh, I have not. I didn't see his one uh, bulk outing. Uh, I, it'll be interesting how he does uh, as we're recording uh, this. So, like, if, you, if you're listening this on your drive to work tomorrow, you already know how. Uh, so he's pitching tomorrow. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's a tough – Atlanta's a tough lineup. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if I picked him up, like – I really, I, I know only you're probably starting him this week um, in mixed leagues. It's not an awesome uh, first game, first start for him. But at Pittsburgh next week, uh, if he does well tomorrow, uh, then that's that's a nice potential start for him. Yeah. So the other big rookie storyline I want to touch on here and then the current events portion of the show, uh, Jordan Alvarez. I got to tell you, I've been blown away by how good he's been. He's played in 12 games. He's hitting 333 with seven homers, 16 RBI. He's you know striking out a quarter of the time, but he's also walking 14% of the time in the major league level, first time facing big league pitchers. This guy, he feels like the total package. I know it sounds crazy, but I, I don't. it's hard to find a flaw in his game. I've been blown away by him so far. Yeah, how many stolen bases does he have, George? Uh, like, none. Okay, oh. None. So, oh. so you want to find flaw? No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> You're the valuations uh, guy. I mean, yeah, you can be an no. elite four category uh, guy. I'm, still... I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, no, he's been awesome, and it's it's funny because it's not like 
coming into the coming into this season, I thought Kyle Tucker was the guy to stash. I mm. thought that Kyle Tucker was the player that, because of the power speed combo, uh, if you stash Kyle Tucker, that uh, I, I don't mean Vlad, I don't mean Senzel, I meant of the guys who were not going to be up uh, the first four or five weeks of the season. Right. Uh, and. Um, I was wrong. And it's not like Kyle Tucker isn't killing it. Like there's a pretty good argument as of today, Kyle Tucker is the best hitter in the minor leagues. Um, and it may not matter because of your down Alvarez. So the interesting thing looking back and we're all brilliant in hindsight is that weekend of like Fabapalooza when all the rookies came up and everybody blew their brains out. It's not like your Dan Alvarez was a secret at that point. You could argue that in March, it's not that he was a secret. We knew he was a prospect, but, but, by the time we were bidding on 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 all those rookies, we knew Jordan Alvarez. It was a matter of time, and that he was coming, and he was going to be very good, and he projected very good. And the scouts and the, and it's interesting how few people were like, "I can't bid on these rookies because I need to save my fab for Jordan Alvarez." Yeah, no, that's a good point. That whole cluster of rookies, that was the Austin Riley, Brendan Rodgers. Um, there were a couple L- other L- guys. L- 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 Mercado. Mercado. Yeah. Mercado, who's turned it around. Like, Mercado's been pretty good yeah. right now. But but uh, Lopez, what's his name? The pitcher on Houston uh, who uh, oh, lost Corbin, the- Corbin Martin. Yeah. Nicky Lopez who, who, is the uh, second baseman. For yeah. The world. So yeah. It, was, it was hyped as the the biggest weekend in fab history, which is unprovable. We don't have any (laughs) records uh, for that. Uh, And Riley's obviously um, like it's, it's hasn't been a straight line and we could, we could talk about Riley in terms of concerns about his, uh, his plate approach, but Riley's been very good. Mercado's been fine, but for the most part, the notion that it's been the, the, the bonanza that it was built up to be is not the case. Whereas uh, obviously Alvarez has been great so what do you make of him going forward like what do you what do you when you look at 2020 uh who do you see in terms of Alvarez oh man I I think he's gonna have to be like a third or fourth round pick in drafts next year if unless he goes into the tank here in the second half it's it's hard to find a glaring flaw in his profile and I think this is kind of who we want Rafael Devers to be this is kind of Alvarez to me is is sort of that guy Um, middle of the order masher one of the best lineups in baseball I think that's the part of it that intrigues me the most is the counting stats element of it if you put him in the heart of that lineup with George Springer at the top you know Alex Bregman is one of the 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 five or ten best hitters in the American League maybe you get a Jose Altuve bounce back where he's healthy and he looks like himself again he could drive in 100 120 runs pretty easily that's that's the upside there with him and yeah uh, man it's it's hard to uh, until we see him fail it's like no there's not a lot this is this reminds me almost of kind of the Aaron Judge factor when he came up it was like man what do you say other than he's dominating and unfortunately judge has gotten hurt in years since but when he first kind of came up it was like all right there's no flaws here if if he's going to be able to sustain this type of batted ball profile and hit for this kind of power it's not a lot of holes here uh first off uh what you wish 
uh, Devers would be. Do you realize Raphael Devers is hitting 309 with 12 home runs, 54 runs, well, and 48 RBIs, and we're not at the 81st <laughs> game yet? Like, Dever, Dev, Devers is 15 years old. Like, I have underwear older than Devers, yeah. and he's he's going to hit 300 27 100 100 this year perhaps i should have been i should have clarified I, i'm in boston right now so believe me i know devers <laughs> is amazing i love the kid um i i sort of meant like when devers first came I'm up just, and, i'm just i'm just i'm just i'm just joking remember when he uh, came up and he was hitting homers off chapman and you were like okay this guy is the real deal and uh yeah yeah, that's kind of where we uh, are yeah, right i mean i mean i think i think for 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 if I think the difference between Alvarez and let's say Austin Riley hmm. is he's walking 14 and a half percent to like a 23% strikeout. Like the plate approach is so solid. Yeah. So obviously, obviously he's not going to have a 479 ISO the rest of his uh, career. Cause he's not Mickey Mantle. Uh, but yeah, he's very good. Uh, like, who would I take? Like, if we're going to play the, the, who would you take if we were drafting for 2020 as of today, which is a silly game because it's not July 1st <laughs> yet. So it would be weird for us to have a 2020, like him, him, him or George Springer. It's Springer. Springer. Yeah. Before Springer uh, got hurt, he was probably a top five outfielder. Okay. Fantasy, Al- right? Alvarez, Alvarez or Soto. Still Soto, longer track record, similar yep. guy in terms of how he controls the the strike zone and, and the play coverage. That's yeah. So I th- I think that's why I think you're probably looking at him in the third round. Like it's amazing th- he's in that territory. Is kind of where I'm at uh, right now. Uh, fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes into his major league career. Yeah, uh, but I don't think it. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think we're being absurd in having that conversation. Like, look, it's the major, it's the major leagues. Pitchers are going to make an adjustment to him, and he's going to have to make adjustments. Blah blah blah. Like every player, uh, it has to happen that way. But I think he's um, no. I think he. I think he's he's awesome. Yeah, I remember when I first kind of started at Baseball Prospectus, we had to do this with Carlos Correa. It was like, okay, Carlos Correa is probably a first rounder next year. Like this is just where we're at. Yeah. You how, have how, to... did, how, how did that work out? No, well. Yeah, I know. Didn't work out so good. Yeah, uh, I I put it this way: I would take your Dan Alvarez over Carlos Correa a hundred drafts out of a hundred right now, and that's not recency bias because of Correa's uh, injury. I think that every projection model in the world would project right now Alvarez as a true talent, quote unquote, better hitter than Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa, in a real baseball sense, because he plays shortstop, and your Dan Alvarez is a DH who will play a bit of outfield. Um, uh, Correa has a lot of value to the Houston Astros, but in terms of just what the game we play, Jordan Alvarez projects in terms of true talent as a better hitter than Carlos Correa. I think right yeah. now. Yeah, I think we're going to be talking a lot about Alvarez in the offseason, so uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of we'll yeah. leave that there for now. A um, couple minor notes here: Mike Fultonevich was demoted by the Braves. He's just been bad. He was hurt earlier in the year. I, this is one that sort of shakes itself out. Either he puts it back together and the Myers comes back, or this is kind of it for him. So the only the only thing I'd say here, um, Bryce Wilson, it looks like is going to get the start on Thursday. He's on turn for Fulte's spot. I loved him in the spring. He's been very good recently back in the minors. He's probably available as a free agent in a lot of leagues uh, right now. Not NL only, but mixed leagues. Uh, I'd take a maybe not for this start against the Cubs 
but he I still think he's good enough to be one of their five starters. So mm-hmm. I'm still intrigued by by Bryce. Uh, so if he's available, I might grab him in a league if you can stash him. Yeah, the other Braves note is Mike Soroka is expected to uh, make his start this week. Uh, he was pulled after getting hit by a pitch. X-rays came back negative, so he's expected to be fine for the Braves this week. Bobby Bradley was called up by the Indians, first baseman, hitting close to 300 with 24 homers in AAA. He's a guy who, unlike Alvarez, he strikes out a ton, so he's more of, I think, the Austin Riley mold than anything. But uh, Bradley's a guy I think has some value in deeper mixed leagues. Um, any thoughts on Bobby Bradley here? Um, he's gonna, <laughs> do I have thoughts? He's, he's the, uh, he's a, he's a 2019 baseball player. Uh, <laughs> like he, he is, he is a poster boy for baseball in 2019, which is he could easily hit if he gets like 400 plate appearances, 350 plate appearances, the rest of the way he could easily hit 20 home runs the rest of the way. He could also easily hit 220 at the mine at the major league uh, level, despite the fact that his batting average at AAA this year was, uh, was pretty good. I think that was to some extent Babbitt driven. It's hard to strike out 30% of the time and have a 300 uh, batting average. So, if you need power um, and have a spot at first base, uh, which there aren't that many fantasy teams who quali- who need those two things and can take a batting average hit, then Bobby Bradley will be uh, uh, a, an interesting pickup uh, this week. Uh, it's, it's, but it's too, it's too bad there aren't a ton of one-dimensional sluggers out there on the wire. Yeah, just, serious, no, no guys ser- like that. Ser- this is this this is the problem. Is what's the difference between him and Justin Smoke? Oh, I was going to say CJ Crone. I, yeah, well, CJ Crone I think is way, but CJ Crone I'm going to talk about uh, later. CJ Crone's way better than him. CJ uh, Crone's actually. Oh, I think CJ Crone's okay. much better than him. Well, this, uh, this be interesting. But uh, but yeah, like he's he's Justin Smoke, and Justin Smoke's had a couple of really good years, so he could do very well. The the only other thing I'd say is. Like while Cleveland's uh, offense has obviously struggled, they they they've got a lot of first base DH guys. So, like he he needs to do something in the next two weeks to stay up in the majors. I think I don't think there's any guarantee that he's up the rest of the season. I think I I think I, I meant old version CJ Cron. That's that's sure kinda, sure like, fair the, enough. Remember back a few years ago. There was like the Logan Morrison experience too. Yeah. That's that's the vibe I get with Bobby Bradley. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, anyways, I, CJ Crone's going to be the. We'll talk about CJ Crone later because he's my. I I I I feel very good about CJ Crone this year. He's been awesome. All right, so let's move into the the main course for tonight's podcast. Uh, you're listening to the Roto World Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Rob Silver is our guest, writer of Baseball Prospectus, one of the, my favorite fantasy analysts out there. I love just talking to you about random players and fantasy storylines and strategy, and that's kind of what we're going to do. This is going to be a little more informal than, than sort of most podcasts that we do. So this is going to be kind of a free-flowing conversation, and we're going to have a little fun with it. So. As opposed to the the deeply structured and orderly back and forth that we've had until this point. Okay, sorry. Go we, ahead. We still have an outline, but it's it's more of like an index <laughs> card. There's, there's no yeah. there's, there's not a lot written out here. So um, let's get into some of the player centric kind of topics I want to hit on. W- which player storyline has been the most intriguing for you from a f- fantasy standpoint this season? Um, 
it's 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 not a specific player. It's it's more of a storyline. It's how bad and unreliable starting pitchers taken in rounds two to five, kind of outside of um, like Scherzer, Degrom, Sale um, are well trotted uh, ground at this point. They haven't had straight line seasons. Sale was dead and has come back with a vengeance. Jacob Degrom, like everybody who's listening to this, knows about their stories, but there was. It's, it's funny how these things go. There was a consensus. If you're a serious player in the NFBC or in TGFI or in any of these leagues, you need to take two aces in the first four rounds. And here are the list of players you need to nail two of these four guys. And for the most part, they've been awful this year. And it's been rough. And part, it's the offensive environment and, and the happy fun ball, as my podcast uh, colleague Jeff Zimmerman uh, calls it. But it's been more than that. Like you, uh, it's, it's such a lesson. You would have been so much better off zigging when everybody else was zagging and just ignoring those pitchers, even though historic, uh, as, as my current colleague and, and your former colleague, Mike Gianella, has, has pointed out in lots of like scientific studies going through valuation. Um, those pitchers typically return a higher ROI than later pitchers. And there's still a lot of baseball to be played, but those pitchers have been a very bad investment so far. And that has impacted because you draft a team based on that. So it has all kinds of result, like if things flow from that and it's, it's hurt a lot of teams right now, uh, so I have two thoughts based on that. One is sort of the psychological angle where when you're constructing a fantasy roster, when you're going in your draft, it's tough to see all the data in front of you, the historical data, like Mike presents in his articles in the offseason, and look at how everyone else is approaching this and the general consensus around how you should build a roster and steer in a different direction. Because it's going to turn heads, it's going to look weird, and I think we have this sort of psychological aversion to doing that, where the easy play is to say, all right, well, I'm going to take, um, I'm trying to think of how this would have worked, but you know, I'm, I'm going to take Steven Strasburg, and then I'm going to follow up with Zach Greinke uh, yep. as, as sort of the last guy in that tier. I mean, that's how I'm going to get my two aces, and then I'm going to go from there. Um, it's it's hard to go in with that sort of mindset and then change on the fly or, or go in a different direction because you have it built into your head that this is the way that makes the most sense. So that that's the challenge for me, I think, is when we get into these offseason podcasts, we sort of develop these these general mindsets of how we need to build rosters, and we can't steer away from that. There's no doubt, and you feel you feel very naked if you leave draft without that to some extent yeah. because oh. uh, uh, it's it's well first off we it's it's not like it's easy to say well look how stupid you are why would you do that why are we all so stupid it's not stupid uh, like Mike's research is real and mm-hmm. we know that there is um, a the 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 miss as smart as we all are as as advanced as all the metrics are that we uh, that we have in terms of in terms of pitching uh, in terms of identifying skill 
Um, like it's easy to say, well, well, all you had to do was get, you know, Giolito uh, in the 20th round and, and you didn't need to draft your ace, just draft Giolito. And it's like, yeah, if I was that smart, I'd be in Vegas making millions <laughs> of dollars. It's like, yeah, no, it's so easy. Just pick the right pitchers and you didn't need to spend anything on pitching. Just pick the right guys. And it's like, yeah, no, that's awesome uh, in, in hindsight. So so, yeah, it's it's it's. But um, but there still I, is something to be said about zigging when everybody is zagging, yeah. when, it, when it's being I guess, so hard. Yeah, I guess to sort of circle back on our conversation earlier about Frankie Montas, and, and you brought up Lucas Giolito, we're in the age now of player development. This is what the, the MVP machine with, with Ben Lindbergh yeah. and Travis Sawcheck, and you have guys now who are just reinventing themselves on the fly, which is basically Montas and Giolito, and you see it with a ton of pitchers, hitters as well. They can change yeah. their swings. Tre- Trevor Trevor Bauer. Look, like we're we're seeing guys now whose value can change pretty dramatically in a small uh, there, window, and there's no there's yeah, no doubt that, that has to factor in your draft strategy a little bit. We're also at a point where, uh, like, it's 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 funny because we used to be like the smart guys, like the Ron Chandler era mm. was. You knew that ignore the superficial stats. Don't just pay attention to ERA and God forbid, don't pay attention uh, to wins. When I was starting out many years ago, uh, look at strikeout weight rate, look at walk rate and identify true underlying talent. And you can find the guy who may have had a five ERA um, last year, but whose real talent based on strikeout weight walk rate is much higher. And, um, and you used to be able to get like James Shields was it was the example I I used was James Shields early in his career uh, had a brutal season. But you looked at the underlying skills and you were like, man, James Shields is much better than this. And you could get James Shields in the 22nd round mm. this winter. Nick Pavetta was the poster guy for this. And it's funny how these things work out. But Nick Pavetta, whose stats, whose superficial stats, whose counting stats last year were brutal. Every single person was like, oh, Nick Pavetta is going to be awesome. Why? Because we're we all we're all smart. We saw we all see his FIP, his XFIP, his Sierra, his DPA. Like we see all these uh, things and and we can see, oh, there's a very talented uh, pitcher there. The next level is going pitch by pitch. And, and but even then. It's it's we're, we're we're not that smart because we can't predict the future. So we can identify some things, uh, but it's hard. Like I loved Domingo Germain coming into this this uh, this season. Um, but yeah, it's it's we're not we're, we're it's it's anyways, it's a hard game. It's a hard, stupid game that we play here. Yeah, there's a lot of variance. There's a lot of injuries. You can have the right process and still get bad outcomes. Like there's a million variables here at play. And it's, it's that's why we love it. And that's why we do it. Um, and, and, and also hate it. Like we're, and, and also and also look at like like right now i'm following along as i'm talking to an eflin like is just given up like it's a it's a it's a chess match between eflin it's a really bad chess like it's like a bunch of seven-year-olds playing chess between mats and eflin going back and forth it's eight six philadelphia new york and these are two good pitchers uh in theory uh who are just getting lit up and anyways i need eflin to do better at least get a win out of this sorry <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to the podcast, but while I follow this, 
<laughs> All right, next topic. Which hitter or pitcher has been the biggest surprise, positive or negative? You don't need to give me like 10 minutes on the guy, but who who kind of stands out to you this year? Uh, well, your guy. The, the, I, I'm, oh. I'm cheating because I'm going to steal the, the one you put down. Because <laughs> uh, it's true. We're like We can both talk about it because it is. I don't understand Jose Ramirez. Like I just don't understand uh, what's, what's happened to him. Explain to me Jose Ramirez. Uh, a lot of pop-ups, um, guys hitting too many balls in the air that aren't going out. Look, I don't know. There's, did, he, there's... Did, he, did he forget how to hit? Yeah, well, there was there was eight months. Yeah, I mean, there was a really good conversation uh, Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller had on the Effectively Wild podcast about this. Everyone should go listen to that. Uh, They had an episode was a couple weeks ago, and they talked for like forty minutes on Jose Ramirez, and it was was just how divergent the the range of projected outcomes are from his actual numbers this year. It's really wild, and I'm frustrated with Ramirez because I bought low in a couple places because this was one of those cases where the true talent, you know, you, you, he, we have a track record of him being one of the five or ten best players in fantasy baseball for a couple of years now. So it's like you buy low on that guy every time. And now that I've done that, he's just hitting 190 for me. <laughs> and I just – I don't know what to do about it now. Well, because I'm it's, like for, for, forget, crazy. forget forget fantasy – I'm looking. I'm looking right now at Jose Ramirez. So the bat, Derek Cardi's projection system has has, a, has him the rest of the season. So nothing like it obviously incorporates what he's done already. A 126 WRC plus, 26 percent better than an average hitter. Yeah. Steamer 120, 20 percent. Zips 117. So they all still look at him with his 62 percent WRC plus. Like that's Ryan Goins. Like that's terrible. 62. Uh, that's that's not a pitcher. It's better than a pitcher, but it's not much better than a pitcher. Uh, like like 62 is is really bad and yet the projection models still say he's a well above average hitter uh his projected walk rate like it's it's weird because his his plate approach is still good like he's mm. still walking 10.8 percent he's it's striking it's just the results are terrible and it's not just babip like his babip's bad 230 but it's not that it's not just babip it's, yeah, he's I, been legitimately very bad, and if you watch him play, he looks quite lost at the plate. Like I'm not a scout, but he does look so quite lost there, right now. As you can tell, I've watched a lot of Jose Ramirez this year, especially in the last like month or so. And sure, there was a ball last Saturday. I want to say it might have not this last Saturday, the week before uh, against Detroit. He had a fly ball to the center, bases loaded. And the center fielder for Trey, I think it was Harold Castro, he made this like insane over-the-shoulder grab where he got turned around twice and he wasn't even looking. He just kind of stuck the glove out and made the catch. And that, that was Jose Ramirez's season in a nutshell. Like, I, I don't know what to do anymore with it. And I struggle, too, where there aren't really a lot of historical comps for a guy outside of injury in the prime of his career just completely losing it and struggling to be even a league-average player. That just isn't really supposed to happen i mean there are guys who because of you know aging curves they get older and they decline but he's he's in the prime of his career and he's not hurt it's just this is super weird we haven't seen a, a player like 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 this in a long time <laughs> it's really uh, weird and the, and the funny thing is if he were a pitcher uh, you would say, well, they should send him down to the minors and try to figure it out, like like get some confidence back and and send him down. I'm not sure Cleveland can 
I don't think that's an option. No. Uh, like, I don't know that you can do that with a hitter in the same way. So it's uh, uh, like, what do you do if you're Francona? You just have to keep putting him in the lineup every day and hope it works out yeah. kind of thing. I mean, there's no, like, phantom, you know, DL stint you can do. I mean, injured list stint you can do. It's not like a pitcher. Um, it's it's really it's really bizarre. All right. Um, hitter or pitcher that you are 1,000% right on with a projection or forecast. We like to pat ourselves on the back. Um, believe me, we're going to we're gonna call out some of our, our bad calls in a minute here, but uh, who stands out to you as someone that you, you think you nailed it with this guy? So I'll do one positive and one uh, negative. Like mm-hmm. one, one guy I thought was going to be good and I was right, and one guy I thought was going to be bad and it was right. Yeah. Um, so the good guy was C.J. Crone. Uh, who we mentioned earlier and it's not that cj crone is like a top 15 hitter but um it gets annoying at some point and i'm sure folks who listen to a lot of baseball podcasts like i do um um you hear well power is everywhere just like pow just draft power it's easy and it's true to some extent but the reality is like power with a 220 batting average is everywhere padding a power with crappy counting stats is everywhere it's a little bit harder to find power um that comes with lots of good things and cj crone again it's not that i thought he was going to be a top 25 or 50 player this year but he was going in the uh 210 to 240 range so his adp in the nfbc in the draft season was 235 and it never got much higher than that. Like it was, he, you could always get him in the 14th, 15th round in 15 team uh, mixed leagues. And he's a top 100 player, not hitter, player this year. And I thought that A, he, I liked the talent. B, I, I, I wrote about this at, at BP, uh, Minnesota, both the park and that lineup I thought was going to be really good. So I nailed that. And the guy I faded, and I have a, bet with uh with matt modica at the athletic about this he's gonna buy me a really good scotch uh in at first pitch arizona uh this fall um was uh is joey Votto, and I, I like as a canadian i should lose my passport for saying this uh i i he i forget what the, the specifics of the bet was but basically he bet that joey Votto was gonna return to being joey Votto, and i said no joey Votto is gonna be joe mauer and it pains me to say this but but the, but it's not coming back and he's been way better just to be clear joey Votto, in real baseball terms this past month like he's 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 not he's not bad but he's not doing a lot fantasy wise that's helping you like he's just he's 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 just been better but mm. it's he's he's not he's not hitting 18 home runs in the second half i don't think right yeah he had a He's been better the last couple of weeks. That's that's definitely for sure. He had a really brutal stretch to open the year where it was like, okay, is Joey Votto done? Question mark. Um, but he's been better in recent weeks. He had a home run on Sunday. Like I, I think he'll he'll be okay. But he's not. No, you know, and, and he's Joe, not the MV, NL MVP version we saw two years ago. And, and that guy's Joe not Mauer, coming back. Joe Mauer is harsh. Like he's better than Joe Mauer. Right, like right. Joe Mauer. I know what you meant. But, I know what you meant. But but here here's here's what I did. Like if people are curious, what's the process? It's not that's just not just my gut pulling it out there it's um in the last 50 years i went to baseball reference play index you should all subscribe baseball index is is awesome because there's it, it's hard to do this without this uh baseball reference sorry um so play index first baseman who have hit 290 or better 
25 home runs or better, 90 runs, 90 RBIs, like the kinds of things you needed Joey Votto uh, to do to return what people are expecting bounce back Joey Votto to do. In a non-OBP. Uh, in a non-OBP. OBP is a totally different discussion. Yeah. Um, there had only been one first baseman who's ever done it at Joey Votto's age, Andres Galarraga, uh, when he was with Colorado, uh, which which it doesn't taint it, but it, it, it changes uh, the discussion. I think if it's, you put it, in DHs too, I think it's like David Ortiz, Victor Martinez maybe. Yeah. Um, some um, of those types, but not but a lot. Nelson Cruz, but that's it's it. It's really hard. And on the one hand, and I totally buy this because you could do the same thing with Justin Verlander and Justin Verlander is doing it. Hall of Fame players do Hall of Fame things. So I, I fully acknowledge there was a scenario it would happen. I didn't think it was a great bet, though. Like, I don't I didn't I thought the probability was uh, the aging curve of these guys are you don't just suddenly get your back healthy. You don't suddenly redevelop power. But uh, but I'd love to be wrong. I'd love Joey Votto to go on a crazy run in the second half. And it wouldn't shock me because Hall of Fame players do do Hall of Fame things. My two guys, uh, uh, I'm going to just do ones I got wrong because I was my big one was going to be Votto. I was I was wrong. I was a I was a believer in the bounce back. And you were you were trying to talk me out of it. And I was like, no, 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 I got this. And uh I was wrong. I was also wrong on Jesse Winker and Stephen Piscotty. I thought they would be a lot better than this. They, uh, I, I want to talk bad. about the one that you were a thousand percent right, though, uh, that I was a hundred percent wrong on, which I should have been smarter on was uh, was Mondesi oh, at about their Mondesi. Yeah. Uh, so you were you were all in on Mondesi this year. I was. I was all in last September and I had people in my mentions going crazy. Like, yeah, this guy's plate skills are terrible. And it's like, well, okay, you can have terrible plate skills and still be a really valuable fantasy asset if you have elite speed and you have some semblance of power, which Mondesi does. So it was kind of a really weird profile and that threw people off. But I just kind of watched I, – I, I'm going to be honest. I watched a lot of him and it was like, okay, this – there's skills. He, there are skills here. This isn't like some terribly flawed player with no skills who's putting up crazy weird numbers. Um, there was clearly some skill there, and the floor I thought was really high because of the steals. So I thought it was worth the price on draft day. I really did. Who do you like? Again, it's we're talking 2020 as of right now. Who do you like better, Mondesi or Turner? Honestly, Mondesi. I Turner's hasn't. How many steals does he have? Does he even have? Tw- I don't think he's close to twenty. Is yeah, he? I mean, he was, he was hurt. Uh, well, but, but even then, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I've never been a the biggest Trey Turner guy. He has 13 steals in 173 plate appearances. So, well, what do you think the stealing was for Turner? Because I think the stealing was like 45 or 50 for me. I I, I didn't buy the whole 70, 80 basis thing. That no, I think I think th- I think what made. Uh, Turner so interesting. I mean, it's it's 2018. It's it's 20 to 25 home runs, 40 to 50 uh, stolen bases, with a 270 to 290 batting average. You do that in this uh, day of baseball. That's a top 10 player, like yeah, every single time. You also had to pay a first round premium on Turner. I think Mondesi was what a third or fourth round guy. I want to say, yeah. So I, I, yeah. I was talking about, I think, on our podcast, there is no way next year, assuming Mondesi doesn't just, like, go for on an 0 for 70 run, which is not— Could happen. 
which is possible. He'd still somehow steal 15 bases in that yeah. run. But assuming assuming his second half isn't a disaster, there is no way he is getting past the one-two turn in any draft next year. He yeah. Will be, yep. Like like there's just, there's just no way. If you knew that you could get Mondesi at the one-two turn, you're taking him every single time. So Absolutely. You have to. Yep. You have to. Yeah. I so I feel will, somewhat vindicated. I I I by draft I I'd, I'd almost talked myself out of him completely because <laughs> you spend all off season reading pieces about how uh, the the, the right, true right, believers right, right. were the true believers. It was sort of like the X Files. <laughs> like the the true believers are there, and everyone else is talking you out of him. So uh, you know you know you know what's crazy about the Mondesi thing again as somebody who likes projections but is not a slave to projections. Well, Pakoda was it's, like nuts, wasn't it? Is, it? Is, Every projection system, if you prorated him for a full season, which on the Kansas City Royals, of course he was getting a full season, assuming mm. health. Um, he was a top 10 player in every projection model. There was yeah. no projection model oh. you could find from Coda's steamer to the bat with full playing time that he was not a top 10 or top 15 uh, hitter. So every projection said and the projections were, are as you know conservative by nature mm. should are factoring in plate uh discipline are skeptical like of all the all the things that the narratives uh, the anti-mondesi narrative uh would have been driving the projection models take into account and yet we i i won't say we i not you um we're like oh, the projections are too optimistic on this i can't possibly <laughs> pay this price uh uh for him and all, it's again it's easy like all these things it's easy yeah, the, now the, the price uh, was part of the problem too because i think there are a lot of people who believed and were willing to go above and beyond where they probably should have to get him uh, i think that was the case in a lot of them but zach kreiser who's uh one of your colleagues at bp i think he yeah. he wrote an article that Coda's projection for Mondesi was something that had never been done before, or something like that. Yeah, um. uh, it, it was. It was. It was madness. And yeah. uh, and and the thing about Mondesi's season so far, it's not like he's hitting his ninetieth percentile. Like there still is a better Mondesi than what we've seen so far this year. Yeah, it's just most players with those types of skills in terms of speed and power, they're better hitters than he is in terms of on base skills and plate discipline. It's just he's deficient in that department but he still has those other elite elite skills so it's it's a weird weird profile all right um we could talk about modesty for for weeks i think but uh let's move let's move on uh prospect or young player that you're gravitating towards or monitoring the rest of the season um who's someone you really think is interesting that you're going to be following uh i still think Kyle Tucker is going to find a way, uh, and I'll go down with this ship this season. In redraft, <laughs> I still think Kyle Tucker uh, is uh, a top, I'll say, 60 hitter uh, in August and September. All right, I'll go with two guys. Alex Verdugo, he had a walk-off homer against the Rockies on Saturday. I really like the combination of plate skills, the power in the current league environment. I think he's he's one of those guys who benefits more than most hitters from the way the ball is right now. Um, I just really like Verdugo. I think long-term he's going to be a pretty weird and good fantasy player. Uh, and J.P. Crawford, I think we had pretty much buried him by the time he got traded yep. to the Mariners this offseason. I think most fantasy owners are like, I'm done. I'm not going to. I don't need to care about J.P. Crawford. And since coming back off the DL about a week ago on the 13th, 
uh, he's been just fantastic. He had a four-hit game on Sunday, a home run. Uh, weirdly effective fantasy player, shortstop eligible. Uh, I really like him. Yep. Yep. No, I'm, not right. gonna, I'm not going to debate you there. All right, buying opportunity. This will be our this will be our last topic. Last topic for the night. I, you know, there's a lot of strategy centric stuff here, but we'll have to have you back on because I, I, we're leaving a lot of meat on the bone for the next time we do this. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yes, tomorrow. Like, like we'll do it again. <laughs> you know, we, this feels like <laughs> I'll have to talk about this off the air, but this feels like a second podcast. We'll get a sequel going. We'll figure out a venue. Um, I had a, I had a microphone and a podcast. This is all I could do. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, if the if the Rock can do like seventeen Fast and Furious ones, we can at least do two baseball podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Buying opportunity. If there's uh, one hitter or pitcher that you can target in a trade, I, I'm talking about a guy where the perception doesn't really match up with the reality. This is sort of the anchoring effect, the the pre-anchoring effect. Uh, guy that you're kind of targeting in a trade. I got a couple guys down here, but I'm going to try and just pick one of them. But uh, who do you have that sort of stands out? I think you you kind of hit on it with CJ Cron, where uh, Crone, where you know he's a guy who could be a buying opportunity. But who else do you think is out there that that fantasy owners should be looking at? Uh, I really like this Christian Yelich guy. I think he's <laughs> going to uh, put together a second half that uh, never uh, heard of. Him. Yeah, well, that this is why you should go out and do some research. Go on, go on, uh, go on, <laughs> uh, Roto World, and uh, and find out more about him. Um, it's you know, it's 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 so hard uh, when you say when you say uh, like buy buy guys. It's so hard to have a sense on. I I I always have a tough time with buy high, buy low columns because who knows what that really means. If you own a player, you probably have a good sense that he's doing pretty well, but maybe you're skeptical about him. So, like, I love guys like Shinsu Chu, who's having a Shinsu Chu season, like, and is a top 70, 80 player, and I think will keep playing and keep doing well. And I could see an owner who has him who thinks he's boring, who's old, who's not, you know, is worth throwing in and buying, um, buying exact, like, so that you may be able to pay um, uh, $10 for somebody who's going to earn $20, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, the other guy who I think is a star and I think so. This is a pure buy high. Is I'd buy Austin Meadows high right now. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I think I think Austin Meadows is a top twenty to twenty five player, and I don't. I think you can buy him cheaper than that, which is not like the. Don't be yelling at the podcast as you're going for a run right now listening to this. It's like, oh, thanks, Rob. Austin Meadows is good. That's really helpful. I'm not suggesting you're going to like trick – like you're playing with a bunch of seven-year-olds and you're going to trick the owner of Austin Meadows into giving him to for free. My point is I would trade lots of players you may have drafted in the third or fourth round that you may have paid 20 to $25 for – uh, for Austin Meadows right now, and the guy who owns Austin or the woman who owns Austin Meadows may think, man, I am selling high on Austin Meadows, but I can't believe he just traded me uh, Trevor Bauer for Austin Meadows. I would trade Trevor Bauer for Austin Meadows if you can afford the pitching. 
my point just is Austin Meadows by the off season will be talking about as a second round pick is my sense. And I think you can buy him for a fourth round pick right now. I'll wrap up here. My buying opportunity. Um, Jeff McNeil. I, I think this is one where, yeah, people struggle to value him because he, one, he doesn't look like a superstar. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> for a couple of reasons some of them yeah. are obvious he's just he doesn't look that athletic like let's just call it like it is like he does not look um like this incredible baseball player you just don't get that vibe when you see him but man the back control is is incredible like his ability to just put the ball where he wants it's it's a weird like throwback kind of He's, he's 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 so he's weird. Wade Bog he's Wade Boggs esque like yeah. that's that which is a weird thing to say about a, like a twenty seven year old Jeff McNeil who has five hundred plate appearances, uh, but he's yeah he's such a good hitter. He has a ten he's an eleven percent strikeout rate on the season. He's twenty nine strikeouts in two hundred sixty seven plate appearances. Now he doesn't walk a lot either, but. Uh, man, he never strikes out. He puts the ball in play a ton. I think he's another guy who's benefited from the ball flying. I love Jeff McNeil. I, I think whatever you pay for him, it's it's not going to be enough. I th- I think you're definitely profiting on that. On that uh, I totally. I, I love I love Jeff McNeil, and um, I think a bit a bit more power could come in the second half. Like I think I think the power numbers could uh, come. Uh, but the county, like he's he's a tremendous baseball player. I, lo- I love watching him hit. Yeah, he's he's different, but it reminds me kind of a lot of the Whit Merrifield phenomenon a few years ago, where when Merrifield came up, it was like, all right, this is just chasing stats. He's not going to keep doing this. He's not going to keep hitting, and he just kept on hitting. Merrifield, obviously, a little different because he steals bases. But McNeil, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of anchoring that's going to happen in the next like three months, and you're not going to be able to trade for him in a couple couple months that's my take so yep all right hey rob this was a lot of fun thanks for doing yeah. this sorry <laughs> if i rambled a little bit <laughs> no we i had an awesome time we, we definitely need to do this again soon um so let's where can everybody read your stuff tell everybody where they can find your, your work and what you're working on lately uh so they can find me at bp every week i'm uh, on twitter like if you don't follow me on twitter i'm, I'm a terrible twitter follow uh, follower because of the, the canadian politics stuff that nobody listening to this who isn't from canada would care about but i'm at rob silver on twitter and i do my own uh podcast launch angle podcast uh with van lee and jeff zimmerman which you can find wherever you find podcasts all right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Roto World Fantasy Baseball Podcast. DJ Short and Drew Silva will be back on Friday for the usual edition. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you go out and do that. Five stars. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at George Bissell. And until our next podcast, so long, everybody.